electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, thanks a lot, Carl. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for the Judge Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, stocks. They're on pace for their best month since 2020. We're only halfway through earnings seasons, but... The numbers, they're coming in a lot better than expected. So what is your next money move? We'll debate that with the investment committee. Joining me for the hour today are Jason Snipe, Rob Seachin, and with me right here on set, Bryn Talkington and Jim Liebenthal. But first, let's get a check on the markets. Right now, we're seeing in the green across the board, the Dow up more than 100 points, the S&P up almost 1%. The Nasdaq showing some leadership here, up over a percent. The Russell 2000 just fractionally higher. The 10-year note, as uh, Carl just mentioned it, 2.631 right now, taking a move to the downside during this trading day. you got to remember, just a month and a half ago, it was almost at 3.5%, the yield on the 10-year. Uh, so we've got to toss it around. I'm going to start off with you, Bryn, because we're right here in person looking at each other. What is your thoughts on some of the market moves? I mean, we're, right now we're kind of setting up things just aren't as bad as a lot of people thought they would be. We're well off the, the June lows. In fact, the Nasdaq up 11.5%. The market really seemed to like what Jerome Powell had to say. Earnings season better than expected. I think it depends which earnings you're looking at. I think we all have gone into this quarter's earnings and are holding our breath to say, what are these companies going to say? And I think, Frank, this comes down to execution. You have, you know, Apple being able to thread the needle in China. You have Microsoft doing really well. You have, you know, Amazon with advertising growth. On the flip side, you have a total whiff from Intel. So all of these companies are dealing with the exact same set of macro circumstances. I think this comes down to execution. But once again, the broad market generally, and especially the NASDAQ, has really made a nice run here. And we'll, we'll see, though, if we can hang on to it. I do think investors need to still stay cautious because we still have high inflation. We have taxes coming our way, and there's a lot of uncertainty still in the macro environment. Yeah, certainly a lot of uncertainty. But the first month of the third quarter, getting off to a pretty good start, Jim. Yeah, and you know what? You said it simply and elegantly, not as bad as expected, Frank. It's really that simple. Uh, Bryn, by the way, you're totally right that this is a company-by-company reporting season, but going above what you just said, if I told the two of you and and, uh, Jason and Seach that this week we were going to have misses (laughs) from Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Google, and that the Fed was going to raise 75 basis points and we're going to get two quarters in a row of negative GDP, what would you have told me the markets are going to do? Lower. Exactly. (laughs) Markets are up big, right? And what that means is just simply it's a tone change. It's a sentiment change. Things were too negative. It's that simple. Now, by the way, the extrapolation of this is not that we're off to the races and we're going to go straight higher from here. We're going to be bouncy for a while. And the one thing I continue to look for is inflation to break. I've never seen an economic series go as long with uh, disappointing expectations as this series has gone on. It's been a year since you've had a benign inflation report. Mm -hmm. When you get one, I think the market then will start to get some serious stability behind it. I'm not saying we're going back to the lows. You know I'm optimistic. I'm speaking to the camera, to the viewers. Everyone knows I'm optimistic. What I'm saying is 
bumpy for the next few weeks, maybe a couple of months. But again, by year end, we should be through a lot of this garbage and feeling a heck of a lot better. All right, I'm going to talk into the camera to Rob Seachin right now. Rob, what's your take on some of the moves we're seeing in the markets right now? Also, a really strong month, um, you know, not historic by any means, but for in some cases, when you look at the NASDAQ and the S&P, best month in about a year. No question. And, you know, the Fed's comments yesterday were very, very significant. We think it was a soft pivot. Um, and it's in response to economic conditions, which continue to slow very rapidly um, and, and have been volatile since the onset of the pandemic. I think in response to the Fed's comments yesterday, we saw nominal and real interest rates move down. Um, we're more convinced that we've seen a peak in headline inflation, not so much that we've seen and not as confident that we've seen a top in core inflation. Um, you know, the Fed's maintaining their longer term guidance that they want to move past neutral. So that's really still a, a restrictive environment. But I want to get back to something that Jim said that's very important. Um, Microsoft and Google reported earnings announcements Tuesday after the close. Both companies, and in fact, Amazon and others, missed top and bottom line. And, you know, the stocks went up. And that shows you the positioning of investors. And as an investor, you need to consistently ask yourself, what is priced into markets? And it's clear that while we may not get that capitulative flush that we were all looking for at a bottom, we have seen it in parts of the market like tech. And so as we look forward, we prefer tech. We prefer oil because of the way they behaved here this week. We prefer oil and energy stocks, and we may have already seen the bottom in some other sectors and such. I would like to make one more point, if I can, Frank. Um, we've seen a very meaningful move in yields. The two-year was in an uptrend. It's now starting to reverse that. And the two-year is the best signal for when the Fed is going to pivot from hiking to cutting rates. We're seeing action in the 10-year as well. And so that is why we viewed this as a soft pivot, one that you have to pay attention to. It moves us from cautious to cautiously optimistic but it does not change our positioning in that quality is still our focus. Because when we think there are storms out there, we want to make sure that we're continuing to protect the ball as we play the game. All right, there we go. Uh, Rob Seachin, quite a few metaphors there. But basically, I want to toss things over to you, Jason Snipe. Um, I know you are kind of agreeing with uh, Jim and with Bryn that earnings, they just weren't as bad as thought. Absolutely. And I think, Frank, there's clearly there's been a bias to the downside. You know, EPS growth is I mean, there's been about a 71 percent beat thus far throughout. And, and then we're, we've seen, obviously, all these companies the mega cat tech companies that have performed better than expected. Yes, as, as Ross uh, mentioned, there's slight misses uh, here and there. But, you know, if we're looking at cloud growth at Azure, it's still growing at 40 percent. We're looking at AWS on Amazon, still up 30 plus percent. So. These names have, have weathered the storm fairly well. A lot of free cash flow. They're cash flow juggernauts. And I think that's, that's how the market has really responded. And then to, to Rob's point on, on the Fed, you know, the Fed has remained positioned on just being data dependent. You know, the, there, there will be an end in time in terms of hiking, you know, moving forward so that this is not an autopilot scenario. So I think that the market responded very well to that piece and, and I think that's where we are, you know, expectations of earnings being a little bit better than we had all anticipated. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a consensus here that things are better than anticipated, but none of you really seem to be committed to saying they were actually good. Any reason, Brent? I mean, why can't you just say they were good? I mean, I know Amazon missed on, on profit, but it was generally a strong quarter. Yeah, but we also have high inflation, right? And earnings are based on nominal numbers and revenues are based on nominal. And we have high inflation. So that's definitely a, a read through. And so I just think that the numbers were, were OK. And I think that the expectations were bad. And I go back to Apple yesterday. I think that was so important. They have 20 percent. They have a huge manufacturing in China, but they have 20 percent of their revenue comes from China. And they were down one percent. I mean, that's about execution. That's about understanding the environment execution. And so I think markets are rallying off of these companies, especially in tech, that have been able to execute. But there's a wide range of outcomes that can happen over the next year or so. And so Absolutely. I'm just not ready to say this is the bottom and we're, go- we're off to the races and now we're going to have multiple expansion because we're just in uncharted waters. And I'm just going to I'm going to stay on that because that's where we are. All right. More Amazon and Apple talk in a second. But you're not ready to say we're at the bottom. But we want to bring in our halftime headliner, Fundstrap Managing Partner and Head of Research, Tom Lee. He joins us now with his big market call. And Tom, what a segue. Uh, Bryn saying she's not ready to call the bottom, but you certainly are. Uh, well, I mean, I think all of those comments actually are valid. You know, we don't have visibility, and I do agree the first half has been a story of economic misery, but we know the market's character's changed, and I think that's the signal we have to pay attention to, that the stock market, I think, is starting to respond and anticipate a turning point inflation, and that's very similar to August 82. That's what we wrote about to our clients today, that in 82, Oxy 2 CPI was still 6%, still in the biggest recession since the Great Depression. Volcker wasn't even ready to give up the anti-inflation rhetoric until October, so not for another almost eight weeks. But the stock market turned uh, decisively. And I think one of the key points is that that inflation-driven bear market was erased in four months. So you had almost a three-year bear market that was completely recovered in four months. And I think that's what we have to be mindful of today, that I think companies had great earnings considering we had a huge inventory correction, a 10% rise in the dollar and six months of negative GDP, and yet 70% of companies are beating and actually positive earnings growth for the majority of companies. So I, I would just say I'd give performance of businesses an A plus in the, in the face of that. Tom, let's dig into your call just a bit. You see the S&P ending the year at 4,800, about a 15% rise from today. What's the catalyst? Because certainly inflation, at least at this point, has not died down. We're seeing PCE at a 40-year high, CPI at a 40-year high. What is the catalyst for this move? Well, um, you know, for our fund clients, we're sending an inflation dashboard that really looks at uh, three types of inflation before it shows up in CPI, you know, including the alternative data, commodities, and a lot of leading indicators. Those have all decisively rolled over. So I, I think when people talk about CPI being elevated, which correct, that's the hard number, but it's already come down sharply. And in fact, by some measures, I, I'd actually say that leading indicators say for the next six months, month over month inflation will annualize under 2%. So I mean, we could have half a year where people are going to start to say CPI is under 2 And what does that mean for multiples? I mean, I think that's what the 10-year and the two years have been telling us. And it, it would really be a very classic bear market move, uh, sorry, a bear market end for the rally to be strong. I can't explain it, but I would suspect it has a lot to do with not only multiples expanding, but actually visibility improving. And if the dollar weakens and we got the tailwinds from lower gasoline and consumers, you know, confidence improves. I, I just think all of this 
I mean, stocks can recover pretty quickly. And I know people think markets were expensive at 4,800, but if earnings are 245 or 250 next year, I mean, it's not demanding to say markets can get to 4,800. All right, Tom Lee with another call on inflation. I want to bring in the investment committee. Tom, I'm going to start you off nice and easy with Jim Liebenthal. He's bullish, too, just not as bullish as you, but he's also bullish. Jim? Uh, hey, good morning, Tom. You know I'm bullish. So uh, if, if I'm saying you're more bullish than me, that's saying something. Here's my question to you. And you know I get your research and I love it. But uh, when I hear the comparison to 1982, what I think of is the start of a 17-year bull market uh, that was uh, promoted by a lot of things, not only breaking inflation, but uh, the Reagan years, deregulation, uh, not only here, but also abroad. I want to make sure I'm understanding you. Are you saying we're embarking on some sort of regime like that of many, many, years and many other powerful forces at work? Or is this just, hey, we're breaking inflation like it broke in 1982? Uh, Jim, it's a little bit of both. I think that, you know, the, the Volcker bear market, which was sort of the end of an inflation regime, but that was a 27% drawdown. I mean, we've had a 25%. And I think this is how investors need to appreciate it. When, you, when you're sort of breaking the inflation regime, markets can continue to recover to levels that are far faster than people expect. But uh, you're right. I don't think eight, if, I don't think we're going to be up 150% in 18 months like in 82. But we're, I, I think the bull market that was in place because of the pandemic and the reengineering and the millennials and the generational wealth transfer and the reshoring back to the US, I, I think those are all still intact. And I think that's what people forgot that in this sort of five or six month bear market, Investors got so gloomy, they forgot that there was a lot of underlying drivers that actually protect the economy, including the fact that U.S. households and corporates aren't even highly levered today. So I, I think the market is going to resume its rising trend, but it was interrupted by this huge inflation episode. Yeah, Tom, this is Brent. I have a question for you. You know, great to see you. Um, I think that, you know, the, the, you, you did great work, obviously, on looking through the tea leaves and, and looking out past how a lot of people can't. But where I, where I question about the 80s is that, you know, in 1971, the P.E. of the S&P was around 16. Ten years later, in 1982, it was eight. And then I think the other backdrop that gets, that gets ignored is that, you know, the Reagan tax cuts were huge tax cuts in 1981, which took, you know, tax rates from 70 to 50 and then a big cap gains cut. cut. So you had that double whammy of deregulation, but these big tax cuts and Volcker. Right now, our backdrop is actually we're about to get tax increases from the Biden administration and you still have this inflation. So. I'm curious how, you know, how that comes together, because I do think the big difference is that starting multiple of eight and cutting taxes is, is a big difference between now and then. Yeah, those are fair points. Um, I think what people forget is from 82 to 87, S&P earnings actually declined. Uh, so you actually had almost 20% lower earnings five years later. The PE multiple went from, as you said, to nearly 25. Um, and the tenure was still around 6% by 87, maybe even 8%, so down from you know, over 12. So you, you had a risk-free rate that would have argued PE should have stayed in the teens, but it went to 22. Earnings growth cackered at a negative rate, yet the multiple went from 8 to 25. So I think when we think about markets embracing risk, the stock market is going to find equilibrium on PE. I mean, again, I just want to point out, S&P companies for six months have been dealing with negative GDP, a supply chain bullet that's been ferocious, strong dollar, uh, 
lack of visibility, and they're still producing earnings growth. And to me, that's the achievement. And that's why I think multiples can go higher than they were in the 80s, because these are better businesses. Rob, I think you got a question. Yeah, happy client of Tom. New Edge is a happy client of Fundstrat. Um, Tom, if we get to 4,800 by year end, as you're saying, that would put us at 19.6 times forward earnings. And can the market sustain that valuation with the Fed going beyond neutral and still doing QT? And if so, what does that imply for 23 returns? It strikes me that it sets up a much more difficult environment because the last two times we got to 20 times valuations, 18 and 20 after a melt up, markets sold off quite meaningfully. Yeah, Rob, uh, first and foremost, Rob, happy birthday. Um, I think that from a, from a, you know, from a, you know, if we go to 4,800 this year, it's a great question. Are we borrowing from the future? Probably or possibly, but it really depends on, on the, on what the market's telling us at 4,800. I mean, I, I would say if the Fed moves towards neutral, which it is, uh, remember, that's not a risk asset killer. The Fed is not trying to step on the neck of the stock market. It is trying to contain and manage inflation expectations. But if you look at the inflation swap market or even market-based managing inflation, it's really pointing us towards a 2% inflation level, meaning the Fed probably has done more than the market realizes and the Fed even itself. And so if the Fed is cutting rates in 2023, not, I'm not saying that's our call, but if it is, we know that that's actually going to be supportive of PE. And as you know, when you come out of a downturn of a business cycle, PE tends to overshoot because investors look at draw margin. So could stocks do well for the next couple of years, even if we're at 4,800? Yes, but uh, it's a lot of unknowns. And, and I, I wouldn't be comfortable saying I, I know the path for the next couple of years, but I do think we're going to recover much more quickly than we expect. All right, Tom, we have to leave the conversation there. Tom Lee from Fundstrat saying the 2022 bear market is over. Tom, we appreciate you being here. And you don't want to miss my pro talk with Tom Lee on Tuesday, August the 2nd at 12 p.m. We're going to go much deeper into his market strategy, what he's thinking about the market, where he sees not only the S&P going, but maybe the Nasdaq. We're going to touch on a wide range of topics, including his cheesesteak choices. He went to Penn. He's got a questionable cheesesteak choice. Jason Snipe down there in Philly. We'll talk about that later. Uh, go to CNBC.com slash pro talks. All right, moving on to the earnings disaster of the day. That's Intel. The stock having its worst session since October of last year after missing estimates and cutting its full year guidance. Rob, I want to turn things over to you. And happy birthday, by the way. Uh, you hey. own Intel. We do. I have to tell you, uh, we're revi revisiting our position uh, due to the deterioration in cash generation at the company. And, and a key part of what we do in our quality models is uh, you know make sure that that cash quality component is significant, and we think that this negative drag could persist, given Intel's high capex needs, and you know it's just they're spending to catch up with their peers, and how quickly they've swung away from too little inventory to too much inventory. There is just so much to be concerned about that when you're a quality investor like we are. Sometimes you get sucked into value traps because of price. And so we're really looking at this closely. Haven't made any decisions on it yet, but definitely something we're, uh, we're wary about. So, Jim, over to you. I know you own a few chip stocks, including NVIDIA. What's your take on what you're seeing with Intel? 
uh, company specific. First off, happy birthday to the rocket man, Rob Seachin. Love that outfit. Um, but no, Intel <laughs> has just been a disaster for years. I sold it uh, almost two years ago. At the time, I thought, Jesus, am I selling at the low? Uh, clearly not the case. There, it, it, uh, Rob, it's, it's a beautiful world when you sell Intel. I look forward to you doing that. <laughs> That was quite a, a birthday wish there, Jim. Uh, straight ahead, energy giant Chevron and Exxon both out with record earnings this morning. We're going to unpack those trades with our investment committee. That's coming up next. Halftime, back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back to halftime. We got some big energy earnings out this morning. Let's start off with ExxonMobil. The company posted record-breaking second-quarter profit, but it missed revenue estimates. Jim, you recently bought. Yeah, very happy with the purchase, uh, very happy with the results. Uh, I'm not going to go through the quarter because I don't think that's relevant. I think what's relevant is we know very clearly there is a secular structural supply-demand imbalance. It's not going away. Um, and the only way that imbalance has been met these past six months is with drawdowns from inventories, both commercial and strategic petroleum reserves. Guess what? That simply can't continue. Uh, so there's going to be upward pressure uh, on energy prices continuing. By the way, this is this is the rub against my bullish. This is the one rub against my bullish call overall is that energy is a problem. All right. Turn our attention to Chevron also beating estimates, posting record profit and lifting buyback guidance. Jason, you own it. This stock today actually on, on pace for its best day since all the way back in November of 2020. Yeah, obviously, Chevron's been a juggernaut this year. It's up 38 percent, up 10 percent, as you mentioned today, Frank. Nice beat on the top and the bottom line. Return of capital of over 26 percent. They've reduced their debt below 15 percent. And and also the guide on, on, the, on the buyback, close to $15 billion. I mean, raise that guide. So, you know, Chevron's been a nice one. And as Jimmy mentioned, I mean, the, the supply-demand imbalance story, that, that narrative's not changing anytime soon. And, and obviously, Chevron's going to benefit. Brian, you got some energy names in your portfolio as well. What's your take on what we're seeing today? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. You're going to continue to see the rest of the year energy as a sector, I think, be the bright spot from an earnings perspective. And I think you'll continue to see those earnings of the group move higher. I definitely think, though, that the sore on eyes of the of the White House will be looking at these record profits again, because I think that once again, as, as Jim and Jason pointed out, we have a supply demand imbalance. Therefore, that's going to keep inflationary pressures higher. So I just think that this is a not a surprise, going to continue to be this balance. But I do say that those, those huge profits are going to be, I think, an issue uh, for, for the White House and Elizabeth Warren. I'm sure we'll come out in the next week or so and, and tweet about it. All right, Jim, I know you, got, you have something you want to tag on here. But really quick, Rob Seachin, earlier you said you were bullish on energy. What's your take on the earnings that we're seeing? Earnings have been positive. We're very selective within, in, in energy. We're sticking with the best in class. EOGs, one of our main holdings. CNQ is another one of our main holdings. We would say EOG is the elite in the exploration and production uh, business. They're essentially the Apple of EMPs, so they fall very much within our quality screens. Um, they have incredible proprietary technology. They're the most efficient capital allocator in the industry. They have low debt, generate tons of cash, and can even generate tons of cash if the price of oil falls to the 80s. So, you know, you have bullish fundamentals around energy. And with EOG selling off so much, I think that uh, from the highs, I think it's a, it's a great stock to own. Jim? Frank, real quick, you know, any, any experienced investor like we all are worries when we're all on one side of the trade. I mean, that's just wait, what's going on here. So Bryn did point out one risk, which is the political risk. It's real, by the way. The other risk to the trade, to the investment, is if somehow Russia and Ukraine not only get to a ceasefire, but there's regime change in Russia. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Absent regime change, and by the way, regime change to a more friendly regime. You're just not going to get Russian barrels coming back to the West. So, you know, if that's the risk, I'm perfectly comfortable with all, all of us being on this side of the trade. Yeah, I mean, you know, a macro risk that's kind of unlikely is what you're saying. Highly okay. unlikely. All right, move our, turn our attention to another Dow stock. Jason, you actually just sold out of your Walmart position. Walmart shares up a percent right now. I did, Frank. And obviously, you know, we saw the news earlier this week. They pre-announced and cut the guide for FY23. Um, you know, I think they're, they're obviously a procurement expert. You know, there's been a shift in consumer behavior. I think the so lower end consumer is, is feeling some pain. So I, I would say that uh, for Walmart, it was, it was time for us to move out. It's still trading at 22 times forward, which is, which is a premium to the market at this point. So we, we decided to take that capital and move it elsewhere. You know, Jason, really quick, after seeing what, you, what we saw from Amazon, were you, you still feeling doubtful about Walmart? I mean, they do have generally similar businesses, obviously Amazon fully e-commerce. Yeah, I think Amazon's a better play here. I mean, I think they're, they're continuing to, to take market share uh, from Walmart. I think their, their e-commerce business is obviously further developed and stronger. You know, so Amazon will be the play for us here. And I think Walmart will start to pull back a little bit. And, and they'll, they'll figure it back out, you know, but I think it's going to take a quarter or two for them to figure this out. So, Brent, I know you recently sold Amazon. Yeah. Quick comment from you. Oh, yeah. This was, we'll put this up, my, my worst trade of the year. Uh, I, sold, I sold Amazon in May, I think around post split, like 110. 
And then I bought Meta with that in the 190s. So we don't always get them right. So I'm very glad to see for the, for the people that own, own Amazon. I own the queues, so I'm always happy that Amazon's in there. But definitely wasn't, wasn't one of my best trades for the year. You know what? I got to say, today's a love fest. Everybody <laughs> taking accountability. It's, it's a bit of a different day. It's a Friday. Uh, Just one Friday. of those Fridays. All right. Before we head to break, check out this mystery chart. Shares of this streaming stock, they are just falling off of a cliff after reporting an earnings miss and two analyst downgrades. We will reveal the name in our call of the day next. Halftime, back right after this. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. I'm Bertha Coombs. Here's the CNBC News update at this hour. 16 people are dead after powerful flooding in Kentucky, and that number is expected to rise as rain keeps falling. President Biden issuing a major disaster declaration in the state and ordering federal aid to be sent to areas affected by severe storms, flooding, landslides, and mudslides. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky visiting a Black Sea port as crews prepared terminals to export grain trapped by Russia's five-month-old war. This comes after a deal was struck to allow critical food supplies to flow to millions of impoverished people facing hunger worldwide. And a $1.1 billion lottery prize on the line tonight as numbers are drawn for the Mega Millions jackpot. Giant jackpot is the nation's third largest prize and is the result of 29 consecutive drawings without anyone matching all of the game's six numbers. The odds of winning the Mega Millions jackpot are 302.5 million to one. Unless you buy two tickets, Frank, then it's 302.5 million to two, which I guess Bertha, ups your odds. You right? had me into the last part where you just like <laughs> broke all my delusions about possibly winning. I mean, those odds are astronomical. Did you buy a ticket? I did. Two dollars at a dream, man. You never know. Yeah, you never know. Our, our Bertha Coombs. Thank you, Bertha. All right. Not quite the right numbers for Roku, though, getting crushed following earnings and on pace for its worst day ever. The streaming stock missed earnings estimates, citing macro headwinds. Now analysts are weighing in. It got downgraded to inline at Evercore and neutral over at Susquehanna. It's one of our calls of the day. Jim, you have owned it in the past. 
Yeah, uh, Frank, I have traded it in the past, which is not what you know me for. It's not what Bryn or anyone knows me for. But this was actually years ago where the momentum in this thing was just so outstanding that I just decided to ride it, had a little fun, talked about it on the show. But never, never on a fundamental basis did I own or invest in it. And the reason why is because of what we're seeing today. At the time, a few years ago, it was trading at many, many turns on a price-to-sale basis, about 25. Today, it's down to two times after this deluge you know, from the 400s to, to uh, 63. Uh, and still it's expensive when you measure it on earnings that are not going to come for a few years. Uh, and free cash flow that is starting to appear, but you're still measuring that in the 80s. Frankly, the, the, the summary of this is it's simply too expensive. Now, it's a cool company, and what they're doing is fabulous, but this is a lesson for everyone. Price matters. Valuation matters. It's that simple. And you can say it didn't matter but it does until the Fed gets aggressive, which is exactly what's happened this year to Roku and to all of the similar stocks like that. So, Brian, cool company maybe, but is this maybe the final nail in the coffin for that work-from-home pandemic play? Well, no, I think it's, I think it's a, to Jim's point, when you have the Fed tightening and you have that shift, this is like Snapchat or Snap. When you have no G, growth, and you have no E, earnings, and then you guide down and you miss on earnings and revenues, there's no place for that company in the market today at the price it was the day before. And so it's not surprising it's down 25%. I think that streaming service also, all of those stocks have come down, whether you're Netflix, Disney, um, Paramount, and then Roku, which obviously aggregates a lot of that, they've all come down, but they all have different levels of value, right? And so I think Roku is, to, to Jim's point, it's actually a great company and it's a good story. But how do you value the company right now when that G, you can't get comfortable around the growth of, of that to, to try to value the lack of E? Yeah, good point there. All right, turning attention to Northrop Grunman, up 3% right now, upgraded to outperform at Baird. The firm saying the setup remains very attractive in 2023. Jim, I know you don't own Northrop, but you have exposure to that space via Raytheon. Yeah, and I think we're going to get a lot of agreement here that defense, aerospace, uh, but particular defense is the place to be. Uh, defense budgets around the world are going to do nothing but go up. Northrop Grumman, I owned it until uh, late last year. It might have been early this year, excuse me, on that. Um, and, and this is where you want to be. Now, I'm in Raytheon, which takes the place of, of Northrop in the same way. Missiles, space aerospace. Uh, this is the pl- these are the areas that you're going to see growth going forward. Uh, for those who are thinking about getting into Northrop, I would simply say it's got to go through a little consolidation phase here before it sets the next leg up. So that's why you don't see me rushing back into it. Is let's let this consolidation of these massive gains this year uh, take place and probably near the end of the year we can get back into it. Yeah, still big up uh, price target upgrade 529 from 488. Big uh, move there. All right, straight ahead, a look at some midday market movers. And tonight, you don't want to miss a CNBC special at 6 p.m. Eastern, the tech trade, including an exclusive interview with ARK Invest Kathy Wood. That is tonight at 6 p.m. Our Deidre Bose is anchoring that. And halftime, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to halftime. Stocks, they are higher as we close out the last trading day of the month. Consumer staples, however, are the worst performing sector today. The sector being led to the downside by Procter & Gamble shares after an earnings miss. Jason Snipe, you own it. Yeah, P&G. I mean, obviously, the staples have outperformed year to date, but struggling this month with kind of the growth bid that we've seen. But if I look at P&G, I mean, what's been troublesome is organic sales growth is slowing. Right. So last quarter was 10 percent. This quarter was 7 percent. And they're guiding at three between three and five percent. So that 
lot FX shutdowns in China, reduced operations in Russia. I think that's part of the struggle that's going on with P&G. And then obviously 50 percent of their business is overseas. So the strong dollar as a multinational is a headwind as well. So that, that's where we see some of the struggles in the name here. All right, we're going to turn our attention to one more staple, Colgate, another consumer staple stock kind of struggling today. After earnings, well, they just weren't great. Um, Jason, you own that one as well. Yeah, so Colgate, a little bit different story in organic sales growth. I mean, it actually surprised to the upside, you know, around 10% plus, you know, the guy was around 5 a little over 5%. So that, that was strong. And then Latin America growth was really nice, a little over 12.5% growth there. Uh, but again, you know, a lot of these staple companies that are multinationals that have a lot of exposure overseas, you know, will we'll struggle through this environment. So let's see what happens with the dollar as, as we figure out what the Fed continues to move and how they move forward. But that, that, that's really the play here in some of these staples. Again, outperform year to date, but struggling with a little bit of this growth bid as we've seen recently. Yeah, I misspoke on those Colgate earnings there, but are you really concerned about inflation in these staples with a much stronger dollar. You're talking about growth in Latin America and other parts of the world, but the dollar doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. It doesn't. And that and that's obviously a concern for a lot of these names. And let, let's see how that progresses as the Fed decides to uh, what, what, they'll, what their movement will be throughout the rest of the year and going into next year. And I think that will be a, a good read into and how these names perform going forward. All right. Turn our attention to shares of AbbVie sticking to the downside after reporting mixed results. Everyone on the, everyone here on the desk, they own the stock, how they're playing it coming up next. Much more halftime. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to half. Take a look at shares of AbbVie falling today after beating on the top line, but missing on revenue estimates. The company also reaffirmed its full year guidance. It's up double digits over the last year. Everybody on the investment committee today owns the stock. Bryn, I'm going to start with you. I know I cut you off on consumer staples, but we're going to dig in here on Biopharma. Yeah, just one thing to close the loop on consumer staples really quick. I think it's interesting as tech has rallied, as of June 30th, consumer staples actually had a higher P.E. than, than tech. And so I do think you also have some repositioning as people have become less defensive going into tech. So I do think that multiple can be a headwind for staples. I mean, on AbbVie, I actually owned it as part of in my defensive bucket. And although it's down a little bit today, it's still positive for the year. It's up around five, I think around 5% for the year. And they reaffirm guidance. And so I wouldn't read through much, too much through this. And once again, it's been a really good performer year to date on an absolute or relative to the stock market. Jim, your thoughts on the earnings? And also uh, one issue for the company is Humira is going to face some competition from biosimilars next year. It's really a blockbuster for uh, AbbVie. Any concerns about that long term? A little bit of concerns, but actually the long-term concern I have is what's coming out of Washington, D.C. Um, the build back smaller or, or deficit reduction, whatever they're calling it, um, does have some drug pricing provisions, which may be the camel's nose under the tent. Uh, that's obviously more than just AbbVie that's at risk there, but that's something I'm paying attention to. As far as one quarter for AbbVie, doesn't bother me. The stock's been a warhorse. Competition, it goes on at every company. Uh, this, is, this has been a company that's proven it can refill its pipeline. So it's really the political and regulatory that I'm worried about. About. Rob, you sharing those concerns about the political and regulatory con, uh, issues there? <clears throat> those are there, but healthcare is one of our favorite sectors. It's, it's definitely our favorite defensive sector. And I just think in this case, the company needs to provide clear guidance about the erosion curve for Humira, right? Um, we have seen this with many pharmaceutical companies in the past as, as drugs go generic. It's not necessarily a death sentence for the stocks. Investors just need clarity about the decline. We think management can pull this off. 
um, you know, sales growth only only slowed slightly despite a 40 percent drop in Humera sales. In today's announcement of a two point two billion dollar settlement related to opioids removes another overhang from this stock. So it's probably a pretty good buy rate here. Snipe. Yeah, so I think AbV, you know, is just a great name in, in the farmer space. I mean, listen, I mean, we're, we, we're talking about Humira, but Skyreasy was up 33% quarter over quarter. Neuroscience was up 14%. You know, and we talk about free cash flow yield as just an important tenant in this marketplace. It's still above 7%. So, and as Bryn mentioned, I mean, it's performed relatively well relative to the market, I should say. It's still, like, as she said, 4 to 5% up year to date. So I still like this name here, and, that, and it's attractive to me. Yeah, AbbVie shares down 6% right now. You mentioned that uh, settlement with the, uh, uh, the opioid litigation settlement right there now uh, considered a one-time charge. All right, we're halfway through earnings season, but over 150 companies are still set to report next week. The committee will get you ready right here on Halftime. We are back right after this quick break. All right, big earnings week coming up. Nearly 150 companies set to report earnings. Let's go through, go through some of the biggest names, including PayPal. Jason and Bryn, you both own it. Bryn, starting with you. Right. So I've been frustrated with PayPal the last two quarters, and I think I have to blame the C-suite for that. And so they came out two quarters ago and said, we are not going to focus so much on growing new users. We're going to focus on increasing more revenue with our existing user base. And to me, I'm like, can't you walk and chew gum at the same time? And so I do think it's interesting that they have an activist potentially coming in. We'll see, we'll get, we'll get more information around the size. But I'm holding it right now, but definitely my patience is running out because I think they're with Venmo and PayPal, it's a great ecosystem. I just don't think management is maximizing the shareholder value. So Brent, I gotta ask, if you're, if you're feeling this impatient, why do you still own it? Well, because why I still own it, it's, like, it's come down with all the growth stocks. Right, and so it actually has a P and it has, it has, a, it has an E. And so what, what I look for is when the markets have been rallying, PayPal's been rallying as well. So if I thought it was just dead money and not gonna move, I would have already sold it. But the Venmo, I think the Venmo is so interesting. I think what they've created is so interesting. I just think there's some issues at the top. And so I'm just gonna be a patient investor and not try to pull the trigger too quick. Jason, you feel impatient, impatient, because you own it as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I second a lot of what Brent already said. I mean, it's it's been a struggle. I mean, it's down 74% off its 52-week highs. It's, up, it's down 54% year-to-date. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with Elliott, you know, potentially coming in as an activist, as Brent said. I mean, working on some cost reduction strategies. But, yeah, my expectations aren't super high, but I love the business model. As Brent mentioned, I think Venmo and payment volumes, that's an opportunity. Let's see what happens over the next couple quarters. But I haven't done anything yet with the stock here. All right, turn our attention to CVS. Jim, you own that one. Yeah, this has been a very steady performer, just consistently outperforms. And what they do with their excess cash is they pay down debt that they took out a lot of debt uh, three years ago to buy Aetna. Now they're at the point where they've paid that debt down so sufficiently that as they continue to do so, they'll be returning cash to shareholders. They recently instituted a share buyback. I'd like to see that increase. That's what I'm looking for uh, in this quarterly report. Now, maybe there'll be a, you know, a ding in there that, hey, we're not doing as many COVID vaccines. That's noise. That's noise. This is a long-term investment that we should be happy to own. 
All right, Rob, I know you're, you're big on healthcare, but how do you feel about CVS in particular? Shares actually in the red year to date. Don't, don't have a comment on CVS. The names we're watching next week are EOG on Tuesday and Fortinet. Um, you know, those are the companies we own. That's what we're going to be watching. All right, turn our attention to MGM. Jason, you own that one. Yeah, MGM has also been a struggler this year. It's down close to 30% year to date. Um, you know, Macau opening back up again. They only have about 13% exposure there. But my, my focus has been on Bet MGM. I think that I think that's a nice catalyst for the stock. So let's see how that what those numbers look like, and that's what I'll be focused on next week. All right, turn our attention to streaming. Even though it's a bad day for Par- I mean for Roku, uh, Jim Paramount. That's set to report next week. You own that one. Yeah, you don't have to catch yourself when you say it's a bad day for Paramount. It seems like uh, for the last several days it's been bad days for Paramount as there's just been this torrent of downgrades. I think the downgrades are very much missing the point. The downgrades are all on, hey, the near-term advertising market is soft. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but that's not why you're in Paramount. You're in Paramount for the rapid rate at which they are adding subscribers, and that should continue on the back of the very strong content that they have. Additionally, by the way, their movie lineup this quarter and last has been very strong, and this is the quarter in which we see the impact from Top Gun Maverick. There's a lot going right for this company. I I really don't have time for the analysts who can't think past three months from now when this company is the fastest-growing streaming subscribing business in the industry. Period. Brent, you and I were actually just talking about Paramount in one of the shows, The Offer, which Miles Teller was in, Top Gun Maverick, and also The Offer. Right. And so I think, you know, you know, Paramount is, is, has come down with all of these streaming companies. But I do think from evaluation, I agree with Jim. I've traded it a couple times. But I think ultimately really good content matters. And so I think between Top Gun, which was a massive hit, The Offer, another, you know, Miles Teller secret, Yellowstone, they continue to come out with really good content. And viewers will go there. And so I do think there's a sort of... There's some diamonds in the rough here, and I think it's a really interesting name, you know, under $24. Yeah, they also have one diamond out of the rough, the NFL, which is a differentiator when it comes (laughs) to streaming. All right, Jason, let's get get ready for Twilio, customer engagement. We don't talk about it too often here on CNBC. Yeah, I mean, Twilio's obviously struggled big time as well, down close to 70% year to date. I think, you know, as a communicate, love the business model, as a communications platform, I think there's some strategic growth opportunities there, but it's a long duration name. It's gotten beat up like, a, like that group. And when you talk about focusing on the E and the, if the E is not there, this is a name that will continue to struggle in this environment until, until the regime shifts the other direction. So not a lot of big expectations coming in next week for Twilio. All right, well, Stay with us. Final trades, they're coming up next on Halftime. You don't want to miss it. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Quick check on the markets right now. We're seeing the Dow up 200 points. The S&P at the highs of the session up over 4,100. The Nasdaq, the leader, though, up almost, almost kind of inching towards it, a percent and a half right now, led higher by Apple and by Amazon. And tonight, the mega cap message. What Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Meta's earnings mean for the market? Do not miss the tech trade. Hosted by our own Deirdre Boza, it's tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern, right here on CNBC. All right, now turning to final trades. Jason Snipe, starting off with you. Hey, Siege, happy birthday, my man. Uh, AXP is my name here. 31% net revenue growth. The high-end consumer is still doing well. I like this name here. All right, the birthday boy. We might as well go over to you, Rob. 
Uh, everybody's given up on energy in the individual investor community, but no one on this panel has. Given the strong results in ExxonMobil and in Chevron, I think you've got to buy EOG going into earnings. All right, there we go. Brent, over to you. Okay, so if you want a defensive way to play tech, there's an ETF, JEPQ. It owns the constituents, the main constituents of the NASDAQ 100. And JP Morgan, they sell about 3 to 5% out of the money calls. So you can get income in a more defensive way to own technology instead of just owning either individual stocks or the QQQs. All right, Farmer Jim, last word. Yeah, General Motors, because this is one of several stocks that traded down on earnings that were actually pretty good. But then once it's found its footing, it started to rise again. And I think that's going to continue. All right, that's going to do it for halftime. Great to be here with you guys on a Friday. The Exchange, it begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.